Good evening, Oakleaf Baptist Church. It is great to be able to spend another evening with you as we study the Word of God. I want to thank you for joining us in our live stream and uh, be able to look at the book of Esther tonight. So let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll dive right into our study. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for salvation. Father, you know that without salvation, we would spend an eternity in a burning hell. But because Jesus Christ was so willing, since you were so willing to give him and he was so willing to go to the cross of Calvary to take our sins on him, we now can have fellowship with you, Father. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And Father, I pray that you'll bless our study tonight in the word of God. Bless us as we look at Esther. I pray that you'll uh, help us to learn from it and grow through it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to get it out. Maybe get a pen and paper out. You might want to take some notes. And we're going to continue our study in the book of Esther this evening. We're going to pick up in Esther 5. And uh, we're going we're gonna to complete the chapter 5 this evening as we study God's Word. Now, as you know, we always go through the books of the Bible going up to the study in Esther. And uh, we'll start out with the book of Genesis and work our way through so we can uh, help those who are new believers or those who might not be familiar with the Scriptures to learn those books of the Bible to know where to find stuff in Scripture. So if you open uh, your Bibles to Esther, you're going to go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. So Esther is the book right there tucked before Job, and uh, I want to encourage you to find it in your copy of God's Word. As we look in here, we look at last week's study, and in last week's study, we see that Esther uh, went before King Ahasuerus, and she presents herself, and uh, she could have been killed for presenting herself. However, uh, the king saw fit to uh, allow her to live, and he listened to her request, and she asked for a banquet. She asked if the king and Haman would come with her at a banquet later that day. So he granted her request, sent messengers to Haman, and we see that they meet and have their banquet. And she makes a request at the end of it, and you can watch the study. Uh, we're not going to redo it for time's sake. But uh, she makes a request in the banquet as the king asked her what she was wanting up to half the kingdom. She says, King, meet with me tomorrow night for another banquet, and then I will make my request known. And as we studied that, we saw that uh, the importance of her request was, was made known to the king due to this, uh, this uh, delay in her uh, overall request. We see that Haman leaves this banquet that night, and he is on cloud nine, man. He is doing great. So let's pick up on verse nine in Esther chapter five as we do the study. So when then went Haman forth that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the princes and servants of the king. 
Haman said, moreover, yea, the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared for him for myself, but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. As we look at the scriptures here, we're going to dive into this. Let's look a little closer. We'll start in verse 9 and break this down. So in verse 9 it says, Then went Haman forth that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw that Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation. Now, understand this is a prideful moment for, for Haman. He goes to this banquet with the queen and the king, and the favor has been displayed for him and honor to be in the company of the king and the queen in this setting. His, his pride now causes him to be intoxicated with his own self. And in the process of being intoxicated with his own self, he leaves this meeting and he goes down through the palace and he goes to enter, exit out of the king's gate and there sits Mordecai. Now in the passage of scripture here, we see that in verse 9, it states very clearly that he stood not up, nor did he move for him. Now, understand, as we studied in previous studies, Mordecai was not going to show Haman any respect because what was going to happen here is Haman uh, had, the, the king had put an expectation that Haman would be treated with some type of deity respect. And it was against the Jewish law to do this, so Mordecai refused to do so. So in the process of this day happening and Haman coming down just as full of himself as could be, and he comes before Mordecai and Mordecai doesn't move. He doesn't stand up. He treats Haman with total disrespect. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, uh, he did not even reverence him to stand up and move or show him that, that he had authority or power in the kingdom. So we see here as Mordecai does this, um, now we, we don't know if Mordecai was aware of all that was going on, but we do know that Mordecai knew Haman's plan to kill all the Jews. And in the process of this, Mordecai had lost all respect for Haman and had gained, obviously, some disdain for him and was not going to show him any, any courtesy at all. So we see in this process, Haman, I mean, what's Mordecai have to lose? Is Haman going to kill Mordecai over it? Well, he already had the king sign a declaration to kill all the Jews anyway, so Mordecai knew either way, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be dead, so I'm not going to sit here and treat this guy like deity or show him any respect whatsoever because his plan is to kill me and my people anyway. So, hey, if you want to kill me, kill me now. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to move. That was his, his attitude. So originally here we see that Mordecai had refused to treat Haman as deity. Now it extends a little, even a little further, and he doesn't even want to treat him with courtesy because of what he knows regarding what Haman is planning. Now, 
understand Haman in his mind. He thinks he has the king and queen's favor. He's he is at the top tier of everything. Um, understand that he just thinks he's the catch meow. And because Mordecai shows Haman no respect, because Mordecai does not give him any courtesy, it enrages Haman and it angers him because he is continuing to be treated with less and less respect. Let's go to verse 10. The Bible says here, Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Jerish's wife. It's interesting how a self-willed, arrogant, belligerent person knows when they need to control themselves and has the ability to. See, we live in a day and age when people, as we see on the news and we see in our society, they have lost self-control. I guarantee you, if they needed to, to possess self-control, they would find it within themselves to figure it out. However, we live in a society of people that live for the moment and do what they want. We see, you watch the news cycles and you see killings and riots and, and protests and fires and all of this stuff going on with no regard for the authority with no regard for, for what, uh, what decorum would require. They want their own thing and they want it now and they're living in their moment and they can't control themselves. But I guarantee you, if, if stipulation was put on the situation that required them to control themselves, else face uh, negative consequences, um, I guarantee the behavior would change. Now, as I look in here and I look at this passage of Scripture, we see that a self-willed, arrogant person like Haman comes to this place where he refrains, the, the verse says here. He controls himself. The idea here is that he abstains or restrains himself from lashing out or doing anything to Mordecai because of this disrespect. You know, realistically speaking, Haman could have possibly killed Mordecai here However, the only one that really has the power to take a man's life is the king. Haman could have, have just uh, begged forgiveness and feigned ignorance in the process if he wanted to. However, he refrains and he controls himself and uh, he does not lash out against Mordecai in the king's gate. We see he calls for Jerish, his wife. So Haman calls for Zeresh. Now, Zeresh is an interesting name. It's a Persian name that is likened unto gold. And uh, he calls for Zeresh and the friends, if you see here at the end of verse 10. And according to the Targum, Zeresh is the daughter of Tatnal, which is a governor that lived down by the river or uh, along the riverside here in Persia. So his wife was was the daughter of a well-high-ranking official within the land, according to the Targum. Let's look at verse 11. We see here the Bible says, And Haman told them of the glory of his riches, now this is his wife and friends, and the multitude of his children, and all things that were in the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced above all the princes and the servants of the king. Now listen, he's just, he's just boasting because his friends and wife already knew that the king had done all this stuff for him. 
And what he's doing is he's, he is in his own mind playing out and building the case for why he deserved for Mordecai to show him respect. He, he was all of this and it deserved it. So his pride was getting the best of him. If you look uh, in reference to his children here, in, in this culture, we have to remember that having children was a sign of riches or blessing. So for him to say that he had 10 children, uh, if you see here the multitudes of children, if you do your research, you'll find out in chapter 9 and verse 10, it says he had 10 children. Um, you do a little further research, you'll find out historically the Targum uh, gives us uh, some information regarding the fact that he could have had as many as 208 children on top of the 10 that's mentioned here in Esther chapter 9 and verse 10. So understand he's, he's boasting about his riches and how great he is and what he deserves. We see here that um, there's a statement that is made in Matthew Henry's commentary. And I want to read it to you because I thought, I, I thought it said really clearly uh, a very interesting point here. Self-admirers and self-flatterers are really self-deceivers. Haman, the higher he is lifted up, the more impatient he is of contempt and the more enraged at it. The affront from Mordecai spoiled Everything spoiled all in Haman's life. A slight affront which a humble man would scarcely notice will torment a proud man, even to madness, and will mar him from his comforts. Matthew Henry says it so concisely there, and it's interesting that from that we find out in humanity, somebody that's humble and somebody that, that, that thinks they're a zero with the ink rubbed out, they're just nothing, when people disrespect them, it really doesn't matter. But someone that's prideful, when someone disrespects them, it torments them because they don't deserve that disrespect. They don't, they don't think that they, they, they should have that disrespect played out on them. Now, I want you to understand, let, let's, be, let's, let's be very clear here. When a government official or when a leader of an organization or a pastor of a church um, is, is disrespected and it becomes a sin issue within the church, when it becomes a sin issue in a believer's life that they would rebel, then you have to look at the heart of what's taking place here. Um, when you look at this passage of Scripture, you did... You, you might ask yourself, well, did, did Mordecai have a right to rebel against Haman because Haman was doing what he did? Well, from a scriptural perspective, Mordecai was all about salvaging and saving the Jewish people from death, sure death. And he knew that, that Haman had set a plan in place to do just that, to kill them all off. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again where God, uh, the book of Judges particularly, God allowed Israel to be, to be put in a situation where they became servants to another kingdom. And then he raised up a judge within the Israelite nation. And that judge delivered them from the servanthood of that, that uh, nation that was, that was uh, the, the, the master to the Jews. 
and they would live for God for a little while. The judge would die and they'd fall right back into that same predicament. The, the, when, when they went in to take the land of Canaan, God told them to go in and utterly destroy everything. So we have to understand there are times and places where rebellion against a, a government authority or, 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 or a, a people here is, is seen in Scripture. But we have to understand that in the process of this rebellion, we need to make sure that we honor God in what we do and make sure we follow the scripture in doing so. Now, I know that in the New Testament, we see that Paul tells us that we should, uh, well, Christ tells us we should render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, the things that are God, the things that are God. And we see Paul tells us that, that we should obey our government figures and so forth. But we also know Paul says that it's better to obey God, obey God rather than man. So there's there's a there's a area there which we have to pray and be very careful that we do not do that we do not make our own feelings desires motions of pride our own egos get in the way of trying to determine that we should rebel against government we need to make sure that when we look at the scriptures and we look at our lives that if god has given us mandate or command we have a responsibility first and foremost to god and then to human government, to man. We see that spelled out in Scripture. We see here that, that Haman, now I want you to think about this, in God's plan, Haman is rebelling against Mordecai, and in the process of doing this, he's trying to take a stand to try to preserve the Israelite, the Jewish people, and in this process, God is at work. We see here in verse 11, uh, so Haman tells them of all's riches. Haman tells them, we, we look at all's children, 208 children plus the 10 uh, that they mention here is what uh, the Targum has, has in, given us information on. And we see in the scriptures here, verse 11, we see how this self-admiration, this self-flattery and self-deception of Haman thinking he is more than what he really is in the sight of God causes great conflict in what we see here in this land. Let's look at verse 12. Bible says here, Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king under the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I'm invited unto her also with a king. So I want you to consider this. He thinks he's so awesome because not just did he have a relationship with the king, but now he has a relationship with Queen Esther. Remember the banquet he went to that day, messengers were sent to tell him that he had been invited to this banquet. But I want you to consider this, that night as he met with Esther and the king, Esther herself invites Haman to come to the banquet the next day. Not a messenger, not a servant, not someone else. The queen herself invites Haman to this. With this being said and done, he just thinks he's all that, that he's been accepted. Now, I want you to understand that uh, Plutarch, one of the historians that wrote a book in the life of Artaxerxes, um, he said there's only certain people that were permissible to be at the king's table when he ate. Uh, the first was his mom. The king could have his mom there. That was not uncommon. Uh, obviously, his wife was, it was not uncommon for the wife to be there. Um, every once in a while, he may invite his brothers or a brother to his table to eat. Now, I want you to remember that every year the king had a day to which he could offer uh, up to half the kingdom whatever somebody at his table would want. 
um, in a request. So I want you to understand that it was very rare that these other people would be at the table. However, we see here, according to uh, Plotarch, that it was possible for these people to be there. So for Haman to be included as a guest at the dinner of the king, at the king's table, was an incredibly high honor because typically it was only the mother, the wife, or brothers that would be uh, allowed to sit at the table. I want you to consider in the stories that we see in Scripture that uh, having an audience with the king like this was something that was not taken lightly. So understand that Haman, this is, this is the background, this is the backdrop to why he feels like he is so important and so able to, to get away with all of this. Let's look at verse 13. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So Haman, his basic mindset is, I have the world by the tail. However, because Mordecai has disrespected me, I'm miserable. Think about that. He has, he has, he has, I mean, in the kingdom of Persia, there is no one greater than him than the king. He has the world by the tail. And this one person is stealing his joy and, and tormenting him because Mordecai won't bow down. We see here, many of you may have seen my Facebook post as I was preparing for this. Pride renders you unhappy because it thinks you are never given your due. Pride renders you unhappy because it thinks you are never given your due. As believers, we must always remember that we don't deserve anything. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have what we have, and we ought to have a heart of service through that. How about the next note we see here? Haman's misery was from his own doing. Now, I thought this was interesting when I got to studying this out. Sin has got the concept, and we see it in the New Testament, that what you sow, you will reap. So when Haman sows a prideful spirit and he begins to cultivate this, he ends up, by his own doing, making himself miserable. And sin, sin will do this. I want you to understand that God does not have to intervene in a, in a person's life because they're sinning to cause them to be miserable or to cause any, any grief upon them. The Word of God teaches, teaches us that sin has its consequences and it brings its own grief. So when we do something in our lives that, cause, that, that is sin and there's repercussions to that sin, then we need not look at God and blame God for those repercussions. We must look at ourselves and the behavior that allowed the sin to, to, be, to be connected to our life. And in that sin being connected to our life, it is going to reap what sin reaps, whatever it might be. So we have to understand that as we look and we read about Haman having this, this attitude, yet all of this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai. Every time he looks at Mordecai, every time he deals with Mordecai, every time he thinks of Mordecai, he's being tormented, even though he has all the stuff, all these riches, all these children, wife and friends, 
uh, there's no telling what, how many houses he owned and how many servants he had. He had all this stuff, but one person, one person had, had attacked his pride so much that he's being tormented because he could, couldn't get what he desired from a prideful perspective. So we see here, this law of sin is universal. The law of sin is universal in that it does have consequences. It happens. God does not have to intervene. Sin is going to bring forth consequences. And folks, we may pray and ask God to forgive us for our sin. We may ask people uh, for forgiveness and, and of, our, uh, of sin that we've done against them, but it does not negate the the sin consequences being brought out. We see here in verse 14, the Bible says, Then said Jerish, his wife, and all of his friends unto him, Let the gallows be made fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak unto the king, and the Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou and merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Now, I want to talk to you a moment about this idea of gallows, the gallows. So we think of gallows as a, a what we see in the Old West or playing hangman. You put the noose and the rope and, and someone's on it. That is not the type of gallows we're talking about here. The Old English word gallows is in reference to a stake or a spike in the ground. If you look back at Esther chapter 2, verse 23, when we did our study in Esther 2, I kind of mentioned this, but I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this a little bit clearly, uh, clearly here. The idea is that the person was literally set on top of a spike, and the spike would impale them, and that's how they would die, a slow, agonizing death. Now, look here in the passage of Scripture, Zeresh's wife, man, she must have been a real sweetheart. She says, let's build a, let's put a post in the ground. Let's put a, 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 an impaling device in the ground, 50 cubits. 50 cubits is about 75 feet. This is to show that we want this to be bigger and better than anything anybody has ever seen. We want them to see that when you treat Haman this way, you can look for this same demise to be put on this 75-foot post and be impaled from the bottom up until you're dead. We see here that um, Haman's wife and friends propose this. And Haman thinks it's a great idea. And he's going to go rest his head on his pillow that night. And he's thinking in the morning, I'm going to go see the king. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, the, the gallows, that, that, that uh, impaling device, it says here in scriptures, if you look here in, at the end, it says, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. So before he goes to bed that night, he puts in process this spike or this, this 50-foot um, impaling device. Now, some commentators would say that, that this was an exaggeration to show the... the um, this was an exaggeration to show how grand of a eye catcher that that people will be able to see to make it something big and in your face that people will notice across the whole land. Uh, that's the idea behind the 50 cubits, 75 feet high. Um, I don't know how high this device was. However, he goes to bed, lays his head on his pillow that night with a plan in mind that the gallows, this spike is being prepared and in the morning, he's going to talk to the king so that he can put Mordecai on that spike 
so that when he goes to the banquet that next night, he no longer has to worry about Mordecai disrespecting him. Listen, folks, I am, I am amazed at this story. I'm amazed at the story because I'm going to be a little personal. I have a minute here to do so. So many times I see pride creep up in my life. And in pride, I, I begin to think, man, I deserve better than this. That person should treat me better than this. And my pride begins to build up. And in the process of my pride building up, I begin to get frustrated and agitated because I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And then we all know what happens. Conflict ensues. And when conflict takes place, more feelings get hurt. And the reality is sometimes it doesn't matter how much of a peaceful conflict you try to engage in. If it's driven by pride, it can have disastrous consequences. Listen, I know, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with pride. I can't help but think that almost every person watching this video struggles with pride. And folks, we have to be careful that we don't run into the same trap that Haman ran into and allow pride to cloud our judgment because we think we deserve. Let's, let's, put, let's put the mind of Christ in our life and remember that He humbled Himself, became the form of servant. And He was obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. This is the Son of God, spoke the worlds into existence, that humbled Himself. Did He deserve it? Absolutely not. I deserved what He got. But He took that punishment for me. And I want to encourage each and every one of us Let's be on guard about that prideful behavior cropping up in our lives and causing us to think that we deserve more. Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for teaching us and working in us. I pray that tonight you would help us to read this story and take heart that we would take a moment tonight and think about in our lives where are areas that we're allowing pride to get the best of us. And help us, Father, to commit it to you. And help us to do better at being humble and uh, being the servant that you called us here to be. Help us, Father, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all those around us. Even those that we think aren't treating us the way we ought to be treated. Help us to view them as a person that needs Jesus Christ. And to look for ways to deliver the gospel to them. Now, Father, I pray that you'll take us this week. Help us to be strong in our faith, strong in our witness, and take us in peace that we might be able to resemble, reflect, to emulate you, Jesus Christ, in this community around us. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, thanks for the study tonight and being with us. I pray it was an encouragement to your heart, and I look forward to talking with you next week.